Hey everybody, got an awesome episode for you today, but first, gonna do a word from our sponsors as well as give you a little more administrative stuff going on on the back end of hashing it out and things we're involved in that you can um, you can become a part of. So, first off, I'd like to thank you, thank our sponsors, Avalanche, Avalanche Labs, the highly scalable open source platform for launching decentralized financial applications. Recently raised about $42 million through a public sale and now gearing up for its next milestone next week, the launch of its mainnet on September 21st. That's right. They're launching their mainnet September 21st. So get prepared. Uh, also, to bootstrap their ecosystem, Avalanche opened up a bunch of new grants for developers who want to build high-performance DeFi, that's decentralized finance, applications and infrastructure. They have open calls for projects like a decentralized exchange, lending dApps, stablecoins, with more in it every week. So they also accept applications for other decentralized projects to join the Avalanche ecosystem. So go build on Avalanche, build without limits, and go learn more at avalabs.org. That's A-V-A-L-A-B-S.org. As for what we're doing at Hashing It Out, um, there's two things I want to talk about. First is uh, Hashing Out is a part of the Panvala League. If you don't know what Panvala is, look back a few episodes and we did um, an episode with Neuron about what Panvala is, how it works, so on and so forth. Um, it's a really awesome project that we're happy to be a part of. So um, this round, Panvala is donating about, I think, current pan prices, about $170,000 to the Ethereum community. How does it donate those things? Where does it figure out how to donate them? Well, the Panvala League has Gitcoin grants and hashing it out as part of the Panvala League. So we have a Gitcoin grant that basically is a multi-sig. And if you donate to that Gitcoin grant with PAN, it'll get matched not only by the CLR matching of typical Gitcoin grants, but also additionally by um, the $170,000 that Panvala is giving out. And then we're going to use that money that's raised through that grant with the advice and um, decisions pulled from the Ethereum security community to fund security and, and um, infrastructure projects. I We believe at Hashing It Out that security and infrastructure is a very underfunded but incredibly vitally important part of the ecosystem that needs more funds. So we're going to try and do that. And you can help by donating PAN or whatever to the Gitcoin grant, the Gitcoin grant that's going to be in the uh, description of this episode. So get your PAN, donate it to us. We'll find a good place for it to help help the security and infrastructure of the Ethereum ecosystem. And uh, other big news that I don't think I've mentioned on the podcast yet is hashing it out is leaving the Bitcoin Podcast Network because the Bitcoin Podcast Network is no longer a network. It's just the Bitcoin Podcast. So uh, over the next maybe ten or so episodes, we're going to be um, continuing on this this feed that you're subscribed to now, but. In the process, there's going to be a new feed that's only going to be hashing it out. You'll need to resubscribe to uh, because at the end, you're not going to be able to get it on the feed you're on now, the Bitcoin podcast. So we're going to have their own thing. We're going to do some new branding, um, try and add some more resources and so on and so forth to the show so that um, you can be a little more uh, stable. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. But we're going to have our own feed. Check out, uh, listen up for it. Check the Twitter. See whenever we uh, publish that. But at least you get to just Listen to us and no one else. It's going to be great. Bitcoin podcast is going where I'm still doing that. It's just two different feeds now. And on to the show. 
Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Welcome to Hashing It Out, a podcast where we talk to the tech innovators behind blockchain infrastructure and decentralized networks. We dive into the weeds to get at why and how people build this technology and the problems they face along the way. Come listen and learn from the best in the business so you can join their ranks. All right, welcome back to Hashing It Out. Today, I'm your host, Dr. Corey Petty with John Mardlin. Say hello, John. Hello, John. Now you know John's voice when he talks. Uh, in today's episode, we're going to be talking with Rex Highgate, the progenitor and founder of DeFiSafety.com. Uh, we're going to get into what that is, why it works, how it, how it goes on. But first off, Rex, give everybody a little introduction as to who you are, how you joined the space, what you're here for. How you doing? So um, uh, I actually started looking at Ethereum right after the DAO, which was really cool. But uh, and I just lurked, and then uh, in early 2018, some uh, people from um, Consensus reached out to me, and uh, we were chatting about uh, unrelated things. But they said if I wanted to do something, I should go to uh, a hackathon. So I went to F Denver in 2018, and uh, there I met Bryant, and we started um, SecureF.org which was focused on software process uh, and documentation for making um, blockchain software because uh, we saw a lot of similarities. I'm an aerospace guy. We saw a lot of similarities between aerospace and we started focusing on that. And uh, that went through 2018 and then kind of fizzled and crypto winter and such. And then uh, DeFiSafety.com is a COVID inspired business because uh, I got uh, um, finished with my day job and suddenly had a whole bunch of time and uh, um, I wanted to see how I could contribute in um, in blockchain as it was coming up and I'm not really a financial guy I'm not a coder so um, I took the roots of uh, the concept of SecureEth looking at the, the the testing process and the coding process and the documentation process. And from that, I came up with uh, the idea of a DeFi safety um, uh, score through a DeFi safety audit. And uh, I invented the process and in July we went live and I think we've got 23 audits completed now. So, so go ahead, John. Yeah, what's in these audits? Can you tell us? So, um, the audits are a sequence of questions in uh, four sections. I look at the executing code, so the code on the blockchain, and it's things like, is the code there? Can people see the addresses? And I only look at publicly available um, uh, audits or publicly available information. So information that's on the website, on the GitHub, Medium articles, but stuff that a, a, a user can easily find. If, uh, so I don't, I try not to look at private stuff. And then it's, is the code being used? Is it verified? Does it match what's in the um, software repository? Is the software repository healthy? That's one section. And then 
in codes, in, in documentation rather, it's like, is there a white paper? Are the requirements documented? Like, have they said, this is what the thing does in a separate document other than the code? And does the, the do the requirements or the, that documentation fully relate to the code? And then is it sufficiently detailed in, in comments in the code? And uh, is it possible that here's where aerospace, real aerospace like thing, can you trace from the software, from the requirements to the code and to the test? Like, did they put in traceability? And that's something that I would say most people don't do yet. It's and then I have a set of questions for testing and a set of questions for audits. And, and who's the main audience for both like consuming these things as well as going out and like purchasing these things? So the main audience are users of DeFi products. And it gives a level of trustworthiness of the code and down in like one number or percentage and a color red, yellow, green. Uh, so that's my main target market so that people have an idea of whether or not you should trust a, um, uh, a particular application. Are they being public? Are they showing their um, uh, all the information that a normal uh, Ethereum product would show? And the obvious question here, which I would ask if I was listening to this or thinking about getting one is like, what's the turnaround in price? of something like this like what what's good like as a user if i if i care about a project and i don't understand potentially how to do this due diligence but i'd like someone to help me do it um and i want to maybe invest i would like some a stronger confidence interval on something like that like how soon am i going to be able to get that if i come to you and how much it's going to cost me is it worth it for me to do that if i'm going to invest in something so um we're still we've only been doing this for two months so I wouldn't say we've got a real market price. Um, it will be under 5K. Um, and generally, results can be done in about a week. Um, you know, depending on how many people and what I'm working on at the time. But it, it, roughly, so it's a relatively quick process. And it's not uh, an awful lot of money in order to be able to go through the whole process. And what comes out is a report. Um, a detailed report looking at each one and then uh, you know you can for a developer who wants to improve you can sit back and talk about it and, and often there's very simple ways to improve sometimes if you're looking at adding documentation to your code it's it will take a real investment and of time. On the, or yeah, if on the other side of that like, elements, if I'm, like as a developer and i get and i get a score from you and i'm like oh no that's that's bad, or I don't agree with that. How do I then either like, how do I argue against something? And then if I decide that like, yeah, he's right about that. We don't have that. We should do it. And I improve it. Does that immediately increase my score? And how would that be? How would, how would the, like, how would that be updated? Okay. So we're all about improvement. Uh, improving things is immensely important that if you, so I'm very much in favor of the developers coming back to me and saying, what did I do wrong? How can I do it? In fact, underneath every question in the report is how to improve this score. Unless you get 100% in that question, then I delete that. But uh, so, and I give uh, references uh, a lot of the time to the SecureEth uh, documentation to give an idea of what I want. 
And, uh, you know, the other thing you can do is, let's say, I want really good documentation. If you went on the website and you looked at who got the highest score on documentation, well, um, uh, synthetics, their documentation is to die for. And you go and look at that and you say, okay, so that's the gold standard. And you also see how much time and effort went into that, then uh, it gives you an idea. So there's a lot of resources uh, that the developer has to uh, improve on it. Now, arguing, I try to make it as quantitative as possible. So I'm looking at something public and I'm judging it. And in a lot of the questions, I give guidance. 100% uh, means this, 0% <clears throat> means this, 40% means this, 60% means this, <clears throat> so that uh, they can look at it um, and have an idea. So, um, actually, I probably have the wrong document up. If I look at a blank audit, Say for audits, 100% is two audits that were done um, before deployment and you put the improvements in. So two or more audits, that's 100%. One audit is 90%. Uh, the funny thing with audits is um, no audit is 20%. 0% is saying you have an audit when you don't really. Um, because... And yeah, I have on. found a case, at least one case. Thankfully, that is not very um, valid. Oh, I've, but I've not found very a um, uh, common. <laughs> mm -hmm. So you mean? I mean, they may they don't have they a claim, audit and there's nothing you can see. Or have you even like like gone to the the supposed auditor and found out that that they were? I've, lying done, I've seen both. Gotten an audit from them. Well, yeah. If the audit is hidden then it's as if it's not there. I audit public things. If it's not public, I'm not going to give scores on it. And actually, I'm at version 0.5 of my process. I've committed that I'm going to do 0.6. And a big thing that's happening in DEFI now is a lot of people are having private repositories because they're afraid of getting forked. Yeah. Um, Ave did that, but that was pretty easy because they... Um, they simply made a, a, a single GitHub, which had their final release product. So it had the test, the documentation, everything was all there. So it was easy to audit, but it wasn't a healthy GitHub, but it was because they have a healthy GitHub, but it's behind. So that was well, relatively... That, that doesn't really protect them from forking. It, helped, it protects no, them from pre-release. I suppose... Right, right. Yeah, they do... We work with Ave they do their development in the background, like in, in a private GitLab repo. Mm -hmm. And then when they publish stuff, they- Yeah, the, the purpose for that is so GitHub. that people can't take the code yeah. before they release it, deploy the contracts as they would in the release form, and then and then attract the majority of the audience before they're able to do the appropriate marketing to get their own uh, community behind it. Yeah, uh, but how, however, though, I think there is like, even, you know, post-release, we're seeing very, very frequent yep. forks of, you know, yams for that may be swerve. I, I don't know. We can have a conversation about that here in a little bit because I have I have quite a few feelings that I haven't like fleshed out that would be interesting from like perspective from y'all too. But uh, I'm I'm also I'm a little more interested. Like first off, full disclosure, like I've talked to Rex about this a lot. I'm fully behind it. I'm now the I think sole owner of both um secureth and fsecurity.org. And I I have a 
strong desire to help rejuvenate life into those projects somehow or another, process quality audits will more than likely be a strong part of that because this is something that I feel has been lacking um, in the ecosystem for, for a very long time. And I think it's very important, like giving people the ability to make decisions to, to do their own due diligence, or even to know, to know if a project is capable of being, of, of doing due diligence on is incredibly important. And what, what you're providing here is exactly that. Yeah. The idea. And for, uh, I get, I mean, I'm getting one or two requests a day um, from users. A lot of them are repeats. And I would say most of my audience are smaller users that are looking to invest their money. And an awful lot of their focus is on the new hot stuff, which are these forks, you know, sushi, um, uh, yam, pylon. Uh, so there's an awful lot. I would say most of my audit requests are for these smaller audits. At the moment, I'm splitting my time between the 40 on Defi Pulse and these uh, requests. And at this point, I'm not really charging, uh, but uh, I think I'm getting into the field where I will be offering uh, four charge audit uh, audits for people to, you know, sort of skip the line. Um, and uh, I publish on my Telegram channel and the website, sort of these are the next eight audits in my list. And, and then you just clunk yourself through the list. Like Nexus Mutual was, I just finished them yesterday. And when I finished the audit, because I don't ask permission when I do the audit, because I'm looking at public things. But when I finish, I go to the developers using the best method that I can, Discord, Telegram, or whatever. Often it's the Discord technical chat channel. And I'll give them the audit before I publish and say, I did this. Here's the results. What do you think? A big thing is, did I miss anything? I remember one of my early audits was Ave, and I never found where they had their smart contract addresses. So that was a huge thing. And it was just, oh, you didn't look there. And it was right <laughs> nah, in front of be, me. Just, let's, not, let's not be too so, generous uh, here. Like, the 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 structure in which people do things across the board is incredibly like even within status, we don't do things consistently across the board for all the products because we're such a decentralized yeah. team, right? So like it's not obvious uh, on where to find these things and those these things can exist. So like you doing that is 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 a really good idea. Yeah, and and there would be more value in consistency, but at this point, that's not something that I'm trying to grade. Um, right now, if I can, the, I simply say, is it public information and can I find it? But the main point is I always give the developers a chance to read it. And um, uh, sometimes we have discussions, sometimes very extensive discussions uh, with a couple of them on why did you have this score and things like that. So um, uh, obviously in the beginning, most people just kind of didn't react, but now the the process and the name in the space is a little better known. So, uh, and the, the website is a bit better fleshed out. So when somebody sees uh, a product and a score, they have a better idea. And obviously when there's a good score, you don't get so much feedback. Um, sometimes when there's a low score, you still don't get that much feedback because a lot of these ones, the, the smaller ones, they're not interested in the process. They're interested in making the money early, and you really get that impression when you start communicating with them.
do you feel like like by um even putting those projects through the process you you're maybe just risk validating them or uh amplifying them like i i feel like there's enough reasonably high quality projects that you could just spend all your time on those and and be providing them with with some signal where they can improve yes i mean uh Certainly, if you go through the audit, you can see areas to improve. And the, I think I'm reasonably clear on this is how you improve your score. So I, I hope to be able to get that. Um, and then for the, uh, the, um, the lower ones, uh, you know, it's a, a red flag that, you know, these guys aren't very public. You know, and when you're dealing with some programs where the developers are anonymous, the smart contracts are not published, there's no GitHub, you you know, it's a pure leap of faith because, uh, you know, you basically have no clue I what you're putting your money into. It's not into. a leap of faith. It's you're getting into something bad because if you're capable of creating smart contracts that do the complex things that keep up with the other programs, then you know what's going on. You know how to do this stuff. You're purposefully choosing not to do so, and that's a that's a giant red flag for me. Yeah, and let's just say they get a red score, so it may not be a red. I think flag, it's really difficult, it's John. Box. Like I think what you were talking about here is like people. There's a lot of projects that will go out and get an audit, and then just say they got an audit, and they don't care about the results, right? Like it's it's a, it's a marketing tactic in order to get an audit, and they don't care about the results. Oh my God, yeah. I think this is a little bit difficult to to Absolutely. market that because. It's all based on public material, and it's 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 visually visceral when something is bad, as opposed to like an audit report, which you can link to and no one's going to read. Or if they do read it, it's not likely they're going to understand it or see that things are fixed. This is like this is bad, and they haven't improved it. So when I look at the audits, I actually do read the audits, and I am not a smart contract auditor. But I'm pretty good on quality, and you you tend to be able to understand what you're reading. And, uh, you know, there's been cases where there's been bugs found, and they're not indicated as fixed. I'll jump into the code and go, did they change that? Oh, yeah, they did. Okay. You know, so I'll, I would say I tend to give benefit of, of the doubt, but I do read. So if you've got somebody who got an audit, and maybe they make it public, but the audit was all bad and there's no, you know, say it was audited after deployment and there were no changes. That would be a giant red flag for me. And it would, the score would reflect that. So even though my guidance on audits uh, is relatively straightforward, if there's red flags when you read it, I will make sure that the score reflects that. And then I make a note where I've, you know, gone against my guidance because of blah, blah, blah. So that's one thing that I will read the audit reports. Yeah. And I'll also think about who did the audit. Because I've had audit reports where it's like, I don't know who these guys are. And they don't mention their company. There isn't even an email or, or an anything. And uh, you look at some of the things that were found. And there were the, whole, the audit gave a whole bunch of red flags. So um, they'll be, uh, you know, therefore, they're saying they're audited. But I won't give them a great score on that. Yeah. Um, okay. That's great to hear. I think like what, one thing that I've, I've thought a lot is, so, so we've seen these incidents where uh, somebody has been able to say like some, somebody gets hacked and they're like, Oh, but we had an audit. Um, and inevitably like people actually look at the audit and they're like, Oh, it, it didn't actually 
you know, the auditor didn't even say very good things about it, but because nobody reads the audit report, uh, the, the, pro the developers were able to represent like, oh, we got an audit from consensus diligence, we're covered. And, and, and we're like, well, no, did you, did you read it? Like we, we were fairly <laughs> concerned about this. However, however, like we are, it's, it's also, you know, we don't like our job is to inform the developer and we don't want to, we don't have the time to play PR mm -hmm. for people or to, you know, field a lot of requests from the, the community to help them understand things. So I think there's a need for somebody to just like read the audit who can read between the lines because frankly we get paid by the developer right mm. and uh if i'm really brutal in my language like it's not my job to say do or do not put money in this and if we start doing that we're going to get trouble as soon as we say do put money in this and we were wrong about it so i'm just trying to inform the developer about like the risk the quality level that we're seeing so there's a need for somebody to read the audit report between the lines and say like this is roughly what I get from this. So I think that that's something that you're starting to do, um, which I think is very valuable. And also people need to understand that like audits are not like a Boolean, safe, not safe. Like, yes or no. Um, yeah, mm. safe, not safe. Like, like nobody's, the, the, the budgets just aren't there for us to to do enough work to be like, oh yeah, this yeah, is that's a, that's, that's not even a budget system. issue. That's a, that's what is an audit for issue. Yeah. It's, I mean, like limits of technological and human capabilities issue as well, I think, mm. unfortunately. One thing that I'm aiming for with this space, and we're very young and I'm not sure how it'll work, is I want it to be funded by the users, independent of the, um, of the developers, funded by the users, giving information for the users. Whether or not that will be sustainable is an to be determined um you know it may end up that there's uh, you know a pool you go back you look at the um uh the rating agencies in 2008 you know you had a, a perfectly good system where the ratings were paid for by the people who were getting the ratings and after a very long time the system became completely corrupt and they were the ratings were not valuable um so we're in a super young time in the space where we can develop a system that isn't quite like that. But, uh, you know, we're not there yet. Exactly how this will be funded, I still have a lot of questions, and it's just plain too early in the time for me to be able to answer that. But my goal is that we're, we're funded by the users for the users, not the way smart contract auditors are, where they're funded um, by the developers. To that real quick before you start, yeah. John. Um, uh, I... I Part of part of that funding problem is something I hope that we yet as hashing it out and some of the, the fundraising efforts we're doing with Panvala can help alleviate. Yeah, yeah, we we have a Gitcoin grant and that's working. Uh, so uh, um, uh, definitely at this point, that's our primary um, funding mechanism. Though we have had some people in the space who've said you're doing really good work and they've uh, offered some. Um, money independently also um so so first i just want to make a comment and and then i have a question uh so so the comment is that it would be really interesting to see someone like yourself um auditing the auditors perhaps because i i think that because as you touched on with like the ratings agencies 
the incentives are becoming somewhat stronger for us to um to gloss over things or to like we get pushback from developers on what we want to put in our report um and the the more we see like we see 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 other firms um you know just like put like their audits are starting to look like certificates or stamps mm. and to have this like approval not approval thing and so uh the more that audits are used as marketing the more the pressure is on us to to pay for us to to give someone a stamp um and so pushing back on that continuously is difficult when other people are willing to go there so 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 it, it would be wonderful to see i'm just straight up like shilling my bit or like pushing my business considerations here now, but I would love to see somebody keeping us all honest to level that playing field so that we're not we, to reduce that pressure. That, that was a comment, just putting that there. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll let you respond before I, I go to my, my question, if you'd like. I think you do. I am starting to understand the various audit firms. I mean, I was uh, with Secure Eth. I got into the Eth Security Telegram channel, which is a collection of of um, uh, security auditors and and uh, very security developers so that gives me a, a bit of a feel of the space and the um, and the organizations within it I'm not sure about being able to rate the auditors but you know at, at any point you know when I see an audit report that is very very glossy and looks more like a marketing element and also you know is, like a stamp of approval, which I haven't seen yet, uh, to be honest, but well, actually the BZX V2 audit seemingly had that. And that's like number two on my list. I haven't gotten there. I actually audited BZX V1 after their first hack, just to see whether or not my process would bring up any red flags. And it did. And then I audited open, which had a, a, a hack and they got a really good score. So, you know, the pro certainly the process is not 100% valid, and it'll be interesting when I audit BZX V2, whether or not they get a good score or not, because I know they put a lot of security um, uh, focus on the development. They, they, at least that's what I heard, that they put a lot of, into it. I haven't had a, a chance to look at their docs again since. Right. So, so that gets to my question quite nicely, actually, which is what, what are the limitations of your process? and what what can and cannot be concluded based on a solid score well the biggest thing is uh what it gives uh, harvest finance has a nice term honest work so what you'll end up with is somebody who's done honest work and is relatively honest in public about the 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 developer it could be the the financial incentives could be completely biased they could have something that says on uh, uh, next Saturday, I'm going to take all, uh, you know, a statement that says on next Saturday, I put all the money into this and I won't see that. I don't read the code. I don't go over what the code does. So that's a huge hole. And this is where it, you get a lot of points for if there's a, um, if there's a, a, an audit, because then a third party actually has gone and looked at that. Uh, if not, it's, you know, the faith of the developer. So if somebody's done honest work, but has dishonest uh, um, incentives, I won't catch that. But what I've found in general 
is that the people that don't have, you know, have suspicious intent, shall we say, often don't put the honest work in. So it, I, it tends to give a good indication, but definitely this, you know, it's not people perfect. who tend to be doing money grabs um, are not going to be put in, put in the peripheral work to engage a community. Because most of the time, they're relying upon greed, not like community buy-in as much, or like like honest community mm. buy-in, or like or like long-term. And so, what you're seeing when you have a quality <laughs> process, quality audit, <laughs> like a high score for what you do, is typically a an investment for a long-term engagement, in my opinion. Um, or an attempt to allow someone from the public to be able to um, contribute, understand, and make good judgment. And that's the opposite of what um, anyone with malicious intent is going to do, unless they're like, well, I don't want to give any ideas here, but like incredibly sophisticated. <laughs> I've, I've seen um, some things that were pretty clear money grabs but they were very very careful about their um uh their process and they got a good mm -hmm. score and you know it's um oh, so it sure. does happen and uh you know they're very public about all of the stuff but it's just really complicated and people probably aren't going to read um and therefore they'll end up making their money back and more um so i think it does happen and uh, I just, as I said, I'm really trying to make um, a quantitative uh, thing on a very, very clear and published rubric of here's the test. And a lot of the time I'll do a screen cap and put it in the appendix. This is what I saw. Therefore, you get this score. And I try and keep it as quantitative as possible. And uh, so you get a, a consistent score that can be judged amongst other things that has limitations. Um, another thing that comes to mind here, I, 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 and this is thinking from my own personal like experience in the ecosystem, as well as working uh, in an organization that develops these things and gets audits. Um, sometimes when I scope things for an audit, I only scope a portion of the project, depending upon risk, time, resources, et cetera. When mm -hmm. you're looking at these things, are you judging how much of the code base is audited um, as as a like as a percentage of the total of the like the total project, right? Because some only some parts of a particular code base are are audited, and others are either left for another day or they're deemed like not risky enough to get audited. Mm -hmm. So I've seen um, like the big guys will often have had a big audit quite a while ago, and then the their recent uh, release has a delta audit. So that would get generally a really good score. And whether or not, you know, in aerospace, uh, you would do a, a, uh, an impact analysis to say how much of the code has to go through. And there's a rigorous process for that. We're not there yet. And I'm not doing an impact analysis of the delta change in order to make an independent determination of this is the, the code base that should have been audited. I'm just not in a position to be able to do that at this point. And of course, some of the things that you start to think about, uh, how sophisticated will this become as it evolves? Will it become a sophisticated 
element in the code or will it stay high level the way it is right now? Um, a big thing that I'm also looking at is testing. At the moment, and I did this deliberately because I was just starting out and I had no idea if anybody would care about this. Um, I only look at tests. Oh, look, he has lots of tests. <laughs> and, you know, I can do a, a test to code ratio. And once again, you have an indication that they've done quite a bit of work. Uh, in probably 10%, you have some indications in the GitHub uh, that says, here's the code coverage, here's the build and the test. In most cases, surprisingly, when you guys are developers, so you would just say this mm -hmm. is natural, the stuff that's left in the, left in the GitHub repository gives you no clue if any of the tests pass or what the code coverage or the, um, the unit tests. You don't give a report saying, look, it all passed, even on the code that's deployed. I mean, that's just the way the space works. I don't think that's good. I think, it, you, you know, when you're deploying the code, please go out and make the tests. Now, a lot of people uh, where they're public will say, here's how to, uh, you know, go ahead and fork the repository. Here's how you run the tests. These are all the dependencies and you go through. So one of the things that I'm thinking of now, now that I've got some traction, is should I be running the tests myself? Should I be running Slither and Mithril and Lint on the code and, and get, use the results and get that? This is a sort of a question I have in my own head because I'm technical enough to do that, but will that be a valuable use of my time? Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you uh, just like as somebody, I one thing I have trouble getting developers to do is just like make it easy to run the tests. Like often if if you go down that road you're gonna like just start battling with truffle configurations and find out that there's like some npm package that's like local globally installed on their machine that you don't have um it's always really hard like it should always just be git clone Easy. npm install npm run test um to to make it happen and it never works like that yeah, and, and that's but I not... wanted to I wanted to, to like clarify something you said because I want people to hear this. Like what you're saying is not just make the test easy to run, but you're saying uh like just check the the coverage output in like whatever your coverage report is, like that should be an artifact in the in the repo. Yes. Right? I think it's... no one does that. I don't, no. I don't think I've ever seen that. Oh well, sometimes the GitHub when they use coveralls, you actually have uh, a and the nice thing is when they do a release and something else that only some people do is actually have a named and preferably a release, but at least a named um, GitHub repository in this is the stuff that actually went on the mainnet. Because frequently one of my biggest technical challenges is just trying to find the, the GitHub repository that matches the code on the mainnet. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, it would be nice if that was labeled. And then with that, if they had, they okay, because this is going public, I ran the tests and here are the test results. That would be wonderful. And as you said, hardly anybody does that. So, it's not that hard. Uh, yeah. So uh, what I'm thinking about that, like what I'm thinking about as, as you're saying these things, and I, I thought about this before when I've talked to you about this whole process is I'm hoping that, the eventual success of this process quality audit process, I 
can't stop saying it that way. <laughs> so anyway, like you being successful in this means that there's going to be a lot more available information on how to do this stuff. And it develops somewhat of a standard on um, how to publicly display information so that people can get access to this information quickly and easily and in a quality way. Like that's, that's incredibly important is yep. that standard alone. Uh, it like, and, and yes. what you mentioned originally, um, and when we first, first started this podcast is that, uh, like designing and developing and putting something into production in this space is akin to, is, is akin to aerospace. You need to put a lot of effort on the front end, mm-hmm. um, and there needs to be a lot of like checks and balances and making sure that you're doing things appropriately and things can't, things can't fail. Uh, and that, and like the standards like this help people do that efficiently and quickly, and then broadcast that they did that to the public because you have to do that in order for people to have trust in you. And so like, that's, that's why what you're doing in yes. my opinion is a, like almost a, like a keystone in the development process and understanding of the development process from both parties, the developers and the people consuming the products. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The idea is to get a virtuous circle where people do the right things because they have an incentive to do the right things because uh, they would be able to get a, um, a feedback. I mean, one thing that I was playing with is it would be ideal once you end up with a, uh, a good score, and I'm not saying the present DeFi safety score is the, the end result, but it's definitely moving there. You can actually display that on the wallet when you're connecting to a, a um, an app and when you're about to do a, a confirm and you would have uh, you know a green or a red. And at least if you're if you're going on to a, a very spotty application, then you would have a red button and it's you know if some kind of very strong feedback is added, then the developers have a very strong incentive to make that red look like a green. And if that means they go through their process in a good way, then you've really got yourself a virtuous circle. I love that. I will probably fight to put that inside status. Um, But a consequence of that is you being overwhelmed. Yes. Well, then the, the company grows using a single process or it, I mean, the process I consider and I still haven't gotten around to putting the proper licensing text in all of my reports, but the, the, the process is public. My process for developing a DEFI safety score is, is, is public and um, I want people to go out and be able to use it. So, uh, you know, that will perhaps help in people doing their, um, uh, in their development. But I mean, there's, there's like 20 questions here. It'd be not that hard for somebody to create a page. I think every project should have a like slash security page. You know, if they have a bounty, that's where their, all the information should be about their bounty, their, their contact information. And they could just straight up answer all these questions on that page present it there. Um, and make your job super easy and then say, Hey Rex, here you go. And like, get get it done for themselves. They could self score. It's not rocket science by any means. Mm -hmm. It is, uh, though to date, we have actually suggested that when, especially when on the telegram channel, people have been clamoring, do this, do this, do this. 
you know, so um, we would say, here's the process, do it yourself, hand it to us, and you get TLDR. You know, um, I'm maybe not oh, wow. super concise in the report. It's a lot of pages and the eyes go uh, glossy and they just, no, please do the report. So uh, yeah, that'll be a, a, a definite process. And, you know, the idea, this is, it'll become a quality industry at a certain point as this grows with lots of people involved in it, uh, you know, standard processes and meetings and all of that that is existing in, um, uh, in aerospace and in finance now. So that's what I hope will take care of the overwhelmed aspect. At this point, I'm just trying to get it to grow and to become something that'll be steady and, uh, and will um, survive a long time with me <laughs> in it. Um, I'm, I'm curious how, so the process you do is all looking at, at public documentation and what's, what's already available. Um, what would be different if, uh, if you were working directly with the development teams and, and maybe I, if it was reframed so that you were trying to help them be better, I'm, I'm curious if you have thoughts about how you would approach that and what, what you would be asking them and what you would look at. So a lot of it is here's the process, fill it out or go to the secure F, uh, thing, which hasn't been updated. And that's something that I'd like to contribute to that. But um, so that there would be a clear process, just do this and fill out these blanks and then you'll do fine. So there would be that. Obviously, um, from a consulting thing, which could be another revenue stream, I can come in and you talk and you, you look at the various aspects and you talk about it. You look at the budgeting and the staffing, like, do you have anybody working on documentation? One thing I found interesting, I'm finding a lot of people are using the NAT spec parameters in, um, in their commenting, but not many people are using them to generate documents. So you're sitting there seeing this code and it's got all the NAT spec parameters, but you can use this and it could auto-generate 75% of good documents that traces to your code and then just write a, bl a blob for each piece and you've got, you know, you've really done a lot of it, but they do the NAT spec, but they don't make the documents that go with it. So that's another point, but at least they're doing the NAT spec. That's a step. So I do want to actually have a process for pre-development and that's on my to-do list, but it's not at the top. Cool. Right now, as you can imagine, I'm, uh, just one guy and I am stacked on just doing the DeFi audits. Um, and especially right now when new things are popping up literally daily, um, I think I read that there were what, 30,000 deployments a month now, which is insane, uh, where it used to be like 50. Um, and I mean, there's money to be made in DeFi. So, uh, you know, you, you throw together, you, you fork something, you change something else, you create a bank and a bunch of money comes in. That's a pretty powerful incentive. So it's kind okay. of nuts, right? Let's talk about that a second. Um, how much of that do you think is legitimate? Um, well, if you look at Pickle, they were actually found a new part of the problem that they were actually creating something positive with... Uh, I'm not an expert at it, but it's it's helping stable coins stay stable by making pools that help that. So I would say that 
new things are coming up. Um, it's tough to say how much, and I'm not a finance guy. Uh, so I would say there definitely is value, but probably a lot of them aren't adding an awful lot of value. And I mean, one of the things that I really want to consider when I do 0.6, and I haven't figured out how I'm going to answer this, is when somebody says, I've taken SushiSwap, and I've added a different token, and I've changed this, this, and this, and it's, it's explained in two paragraphs in a Medium article, um, how do I audit that? You know, because it would be, you could sort of say, well, most, considering it's all, there's a lot of synthetic code that's used in a lot of these uh, things. So they're, they're pulling contracts out uh, from good programs. How do I score that? And I try and focus on the new code, um, but I'm still scratching my head and uh, I want to be a little bit more formal on how I deal with that because that's a big part of the space right now. So uh, I'm in version 0.6 of my process. I will have some words that specifically talk about that. I just don't know what they're going to say yet. And like that, that brings up an immediate um, question for me, as you said that, like you talked about the transition to V6. When you move from one version of the audit process to another, what does that say about the previous projects that were audited from a, from a, from a previous story. version? So sometimes, like when I went to 0 0.4, I, uh, the changes were relatively trivial on the ex previous ones. So a lot of things didn't change. With 0 0.6, I think everybody who has their own GitHub repository uh, won't have any changes. But I'll have a better way to judge the scores for people who have private repositories. Like a, a, a negative of private repositories is the audit is done on code that you can't see. So, um, and it wouldn't be, uh, so that should be a negative in the score. There's nothing in there for it right now. So sometimes I'll go back and change it, but the report says this is on 0 0.5. And uh, at a certain point, I'll have to confront that. But right now I try and not break too much as I move forward. Have we have we talked about what you're going to add to the to the uh, process in the future? Kind of. So, zero point six. My list is anonymous team. Yes, no. I figure I might add something on that. Oh, I like that. That's yeah. Um, better consideration for private repos and better process for copies with minor changes. Mm. Um, and then there's the whole thing of what I do for tests. You know, I think there's maybe some tools that I could run. So I want to think. I haven't. I totally get what you said about uh, going down a rabbit hole and trying to do the tests, and that's not work that I want to spend. So uh, that, and then the other point is, do I start adding other metrics, such as how time mature is the um, uh, is the um, the tool? So uh, you know, we uh, you look at uh, total value over time and you take the area of the curve and the bigger that is, the safer it is, the time without hacks or whatever. So DefiScore has that. Do I start adding things like that? That's something that I'm scratching my head about. Um, uh, other, you know, so adding more complex risk things is something that I'm scratching my head about how to do it. Like pool risks uh, might be, you know, I, there isn't a lot on 
uh, with this pool, can I get my money back? What is the risk of me getting just the assets that I put in out? And then there's the risk of the, the token that it's with tanking, which is totally different from the pool risk of, of just uh, getting it out. So there's a bunch of things that I'm thinking about, but I'm not quite ready. I'm certainly not an expert on that. And I'm not ready to do that. But it's sort of how do I grow this into a larger um, uh, a broader risk and mm. should I, you know, and I'm, the other thing is I can just do this same process. If I find this is financially viable, I just stay in my little sliver and I do as much as I can on it. And, you know, mm. I can do it in dApps also. There's a lot of dApps for which it would be very, uh, appropriate to, um, outside of the DeFi space. So exactly where it's going to go is still a bit up in the air. It's, I mean, it, literally, I think I did my first audit on on July 14th was when I I felt that I had my first three audits mm -hmm. um, were out. And then, you know, so this is super new. And mm -hmm. uh, where it will go, I, I would suppose I either go broader within DeFi or I, I stay narrow and I go uh, deeper into the Ethereum I would, ecosystem. I would say that yeah. like the other, I think we'll all agree here. Uh, the breadth of risk analysis in 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 the blockchain space in general is as far further than the eye can see. Like figuring out a quantitative way to assess risk across the myriad of potential applications that blockchains in general enable is an incredibly difficult thing to do. Um, yeah. I, I want to add to that, though, like, I think there's a, a cool opportunity to we need to start quantifying like the the kind of like the complexity and the, you know, the the tax surface of these things. So, you know, is it is it one contract? Like, is it WEF? Is it just wrapped ether? And it, it doesn't, you know, it just every other contract in the world is the same to it. It's just an external entity that it does not trust. Or is it, you know, an exchange like like Uniswap that just lets you add anything to it may or may not be a token, or it can claim to be a token. Um, so it's like composability, or just like how big is the thing? Like, is it? I, I don't think line count is the ideal metric, but it is an interesting input. There are a lot of things that I think would go into a kind of like complexity risk uh, yeah. score. I do like one thing in the code analysis aspect of it. I take, I, I try and grab all the code leaving outside the libraries and um, other aspects and just the core code. And um, I run a tool called SCC on it, which gives, you know, the number of lines, number of comments and a generic code complexity thing, though it's using the JavaScript. It's not, it's not a solidity tool yet. Um, but uh, I, I get numbers on that. And I was wondering about code complexity because some of these things are, you end up with some big, big uh, things that have small, elegant code and others, they're just monsters. And, um, you know, and that's in the report, like the Nexus Mutual, that's a lot of code. I haven't done Aragon. I've been told that's a, a, a huge monster also. Makers up. But makers up um, so there's <laughs> with code obfuscation almost. Yeah. Like so yeah, yeah it's everybody's a favorite. canonical example yeah. of like but, odd code. 
So that's another metric that I'm generating and I'm not scoring and I'm not sure. And obviously one thing that I hope to mature up to is to really get sort of like uh, people around a table and really looking at these so that it's uh, there's a bigger consensus on how the scoring and the judging should be done. And hopefully in the idea of creating a whole qu uh, quality industry, meets like that would come up so that the process that um, I've developed so far would grow and have uh, you know more more buy-in and um, uh, the 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 quality of it improves. So that's something else that I hope will happen. And actually, with zero point six, I at least within the 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 group on the Telegram, I intend to you know have let people into the conversation, which will be a bit different than what it was previously, because the other versions nobody cared. <laughs> So yeah, it was careful, just though. me. The more you let that happen, the more it becomes a, a bureaucratic uh, nightmare of nothing, like everyone talking and nothing getting done. Perhaps, yes. Then we can start a DAO. I There's think, always I think we start a DAO. <laughs> <laughs> I think what's different here, Rex, because yeah, I was around when, when that effort started and it was a bit like, like uh, I think the difference is just like, you know, creating a standard where everybody has a bit of a standard already. There's a classic XT XKCE comic where it's like, oh, there's 11 disjoint standards. Uh, we need to unify them into one uh, dominant standard. And then, oh, no, actually, you just have 12 standards now. Um, I think that was the failing there. I think what is there's just more action here. You're doing something. You're putting it out. There's a number that, that gets people's attention. And it, it's sort of... Uh, it's just a bit more proactive and it's happening. It's also permissionless. It seems like the incentives so. are aligned appropriately, right? It's like, yeah. it's a, it's a community driven thing. Um, you don't have this weird, uh, relationship, almost, almost secret relationship with the developers and the, and the, and the auditors, um, and the underlying marketing side of that thing, which is coming from the developer standpoint. Um, and so like that, like there isn't like a impetus to persuade the audience from your side in any way shape or form which gives it a, a larger kind of lean of credibility in my opinion that's what we're aiming at i mean it's as i said it's by the users for the users that's kind of the um the incentive now what do you what do you do when a user says like find the problem with this shit project and i'll pay you more if you give it a, a worse score Well, uh, I haven't had that yet, but um, you know, the on something like this, credibility is the only thing you've got going for you. So, um, if somebody wants to pay me to get uh, to drop my credibility, it's not going to be inexpensive. <laughs> so, um, but uh, uh, because that would that would just ruin everything. So, you know, I'm, and the other thing is the way I've done the process, you don't really have room for that because if somebody reads it, um, you know, it's, they, they look at the actual results and the, there's a grade and it should, it, the, every, almost everything's public. So you can't just make up different scores. 
and make stuff up as much. So that's the the hope. Like anybody can go take a look at a report, take a look at what's public and what I with websites I try to do a screen cap and then put it in there with the the link. So um, if it changes a week later, I can at least say this is what I saw when I did it, did it. So then it's more difficult for um, me to just make a score that's dramatically different. And I'm slowly refining, putting in more guidance on question after question so that uh, I have less opinion in there as much as possible. The audit reports are going to be one area where it's... Um, it will be, there'll probably still be a bit of opinion when you end up with an audit report that doesn't look like it. When you read the detail, it just doesn't look like it reflects it. And that I'll try and put into the score and I'll make a note. And that'll be, you know, the, it's at least it's a discussion on a public document that people can have. All right. So uh, it's a great way to kind of wrap up the episode. Where do people go to find out more, see what you're doing, read the process, uh, get in touch? Yeah, it's all, everything is on DeFiSafety.com. And then uh, the process is in docs.defisafety.com. Uh, and if they're a developer, just pull up the process, pull up a blank audit and fill in the blanks. And if somebody fills in the blanks and then just sends it to me, I'll put it up on the website or um, uh, without any trouble. So um, that's another way. That's and, uh, and then jump on the Telegram channel and just... Uh, uh, help us out, and don't forget the uh, the Gitcoin grants. That uh, is uh, deeply helpful for the people that do find it right. useful. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for doing this work. I think we've uh, reiterated how much we we find it helpful and and how much we care about it. So keep up the good work. Thank you much. We'll see how where it goes. Thanks, Rex. Cheers. <laughs>